0: Good afternoon. Wilkinson here. Today my guest is Michael Vaccaro. He is from L.A. He is an actor and a whole bunch of other things. Wesley, we'll we met. What did a uh, star... Being installed in Palm Springs on the sidewalk, did we? Is that like, is that, was that correct? Three, we, was that three years ago.
1: I, uh, you know what? I, I, I honestly, I uh, couldn't tell you when that was, but, uh, but yes, it was. Uh, there was a star on the. Uh, it was the Hollywood, uh, not the Hollywood, the Palm Springs Walk of Fame, right? Right, for a legendary comedian, Judy Tenuta, who was a dear friend of mine, and uh, we worked together many, many times, and yes, and she was getting a star on the, uh, on the Palm Springs Canyon. And that was it.
0: And then we met. I told you I was a photographer, and I photographed you
1: yes you did
0: all right well we missed something we didn't tell my people hi tell them hi
1: hi wilkinson's (laughs) people how are you we're good.
0: Anyway. Um, okay. So I don't know where to start with you. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> it
1: all started back in all, the, yeah.
0: So you said your coming out story was very brief and easy.
1: Oh, okay. Sure. Coming out story. As a, uh, coming out as a homosexual. <gasps> yes. You are? I, I came out. Yes, I did. I am. Yeah, it was very easy. And I will tell you why. Because well, first of all, I grew up in New York City. I, uh, in the Bronx? I was born and raised in the Bronx. Yes. Okay. By the time I came out, we had, you know, we had we'd done the whole Luke Jefferson's thing. We were we had moved on up uh, to Man- Manhattan. Whoa! We went from we went from the Bronx to Manhattan, uh, which was a big step. And uh, so I think when I came out, I was either fifteen or sixteen years old. I want to say we were living in Manhattan, and it was just me and my mother. Uh, she was a single mother. I was a only child, and uh, it was again, it was very easy for me because I was uh, I was an actor already. I, I started as a child actor, and I was by that time I was in high school, and I went to uh, what was then called the High School of Performing Arts, which is now it merged with the um, with the High School of Performing Arts, which is the Fame School. So performing arts and music and art merged together in one school, which is now called The Guardia in Lincoln Center in New York City. So I was going to uh, music and art. I was a, a voice major, singer. So I was surrounded by, but I was surrounded by actors and singers and dancers and artists and all that stuff.
0: All the and, gay people, right? Well, yeah. When I, was in, when I
1: was in high school, I mean, most of the, yeah. I would say most of the, the male population in my high school were gay. So it was not, it was a very easy thing to come out. In fact, it wasn't even really intentional. I was sitting with my mother one morning at breakfast and I said, mom, you know, I'm gay, right? And she said,
0: yeah. That's how it went? That was the, that's the <laughs> <Yeah>. story. <laughs> Wow. What made you ask her that?
1: I think because it was so not a big deal. But I, I had heard stories from other people that, you know, they had told their parents that they were gay and then, you know, they got thrown out of their house or their, you know, their relationships with their parents were, were destroyed and all that stuff. And like, I didn't understand, I didn't even understand that, that coming out was a thing, like I just, that it was a thing that you do or that you have to do, like sort of a rite of passage. Right. So I thought, oh, I guess I need to do this then. So I sat down for breakfast over my, you know. Uh, frosted flakes or fruity pebbles. And, and I said that, I said, mom, I'm gay. And she said, yeah, <laughs> you know, she was a tough broad. Was my she? mother, she was one of those tough New York broads. Like, you know, she had seen it all and done it all. And like, you know, mm. and so, so not and really nothing fazed her. And she, yeah, she was tough. She was tough as nails, my mother. Mm. So, but, but she was incredibly supportive uh, and loving and wonderful in her in her brassy way, <laughs> she was brassy, she's what we would have called a broad. Back wow. then, she was a real broad. Right.
0: So, how did you get into acting?
1: That was uh, that was kind of like being gay. It was kind of like uh, when I was a kid. For some reason, it was it was always there was a seed in my head somewhere. I always knew for, I I don't I don't remember a time in my life then I when I did not want to pursue acting or singing or dancing whatever it was. I don't know where it came from. I just remember it always being there and um. Uh, and at some point when I was a kid, I guess I realized that it was a profession, that it was a career, and that this is what people did for business. And I think, again, I must have told my mother maybe over breakfast <laughs> that I was, you know, this is what I wanted to do. And what do I have to do to make that happen? And so, so again, from a very, very early age, she, my poor mother, she spent so much money, I'm sure she got me singing lessons and I went to dance school. I took dancing lessons. I took, uh, modern jazz and ballet and tap. And, uh, she signed me up for guitar lessons. She went out and bought a piano and I signed me up for piano lessons. and, And then I took acting lessons and I started studying acting when I was a kid. And then I got into a, um, I got into a theater company for children in New York City. It was called the First All Children's Theater, F-A-C-T, fact. And I started I started working in the theater when I was a very, 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 very young child. Yeah.
0: Hmm. So you never wanted to be a fireman?
1: Never wanted to be a fireman, wanted to date some firemen. Oh, but there you go. I've never <laughs> wanted to actually be a fireman. That seems like huh. way too much work. It seems very dangerous.
0: And how long did you live in New York?
1: Oh my gosh, how long did I live in New York? Well, again, I was born there uh in the uh in the early 1960s <laughs> that's how old i am and uh let's see i moved out of new york i think when i was 25 and i and i came to la the idea was that i was going to come i had had all this theater experience in New York City, and I was also on a soap opera that used to film in New York City. And so I think the idea was that I was going to come out to Los Angeles and take the whole place by storm, and I was going to get a sitcom, and I was, you know, Valerie Harper was going to play my mother, uh, you know. How did, was, how did
0: that work out? Well, that did, that plan didn't work.
1: <laughs> I didn't get the sitcom, and I didn't get, uh, I, and Valerie Harper was not in it. But I did write something many years later, by the way, we can talk about this too. Many years later, I did write a, a sitcom that ended up being a, a web series, which now people can find on amazon and i wrote it with valerie harper in mind in fact i I went to her i found her agents and i i submitted the script and i said we're doing this show i really want valerie harper to be in it uh and it was literally that week that um valerie harper announced to the press that she had been diagnosed with brain cancer Oh. Right. So she was not she was not working. So she she uh, very kindly turned it down. She was very sweet about it. But yeah, um, so I live. So I, then I moved to I lived in Los Angeles for about eight or 10 years, something like that. But I kept getting work in New York. And so I kept having to go back to New York constantly to do stuff. And so then finally, I just thought, well, I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna just go live back in New York again. So I went back and lived there for about another 11 years or so. So I think in total, I lived in New York City about maybe 35 or 40 years, something like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's my home. And you had a partner. I did have a partner. Yes. That's a 16-year one
1: oh yes well i've had two well, you, i've, I've oh, been really? married twice yes
0: you've been married i've been married twice okay well the, the second one yes i know about but yes
1: you know about the second the, one the first the 16 one yes year was the i was in one. a i was in a relationship we were married uh we were together for 16 years his name is michael we were michael and michael which was adorable and absolutely annoying
0: did uh, you have an answering machine then of course did, and you said michael and michael <laughs> yes <laughs> Yes, like? you've
1: reached Michael and Michael. Uh, big and actually, he was six four and two hundred and twenty five pounds, and I'm you know I'm a tiny a tiny petite flower, and so I and I'm I think I'm five nine, five, eight or five, nine. And I weigh about 135 pounds. So, so yeah. So he was big Michael and I was little Michael. And yes, that is in fact what it said on our answering machine. (laughs) Uh, and in fact, that is also what it said back in the day when we had an answering service. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. The people would call, uh, the answering service. Uh, do you want to leave a message for big Michael or little Michael? They'd say that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, oh, yes, wow. we were together for 16 years and he's and and uh and he's still he's still a big 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 part of my life. He's mm-hmm. still one of my best friends, yeah.
0: And we're talking about height here, right? Um, <laughs> when you say big, Mike, a little, we're talking about height, right? Height okay. and
1: weight <laughs> and other things, <laughs> okay.
0: possibly intellect. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're not in. You're not little. <laughs> I'm not. No. I don't okay. think so. Okay. So then that relationship ended?
1: Yes amicably and, and wonderfully. We just, you know, we had been, we, you know how relationships end sometimes. They just like, you know, like it's done and you just know right. it. And we were just growing apart and we just realized we were better friends than, you know, right. and they were, we were going in different directions. I guess that's what we would say. So it was very amical and, and, and wonderful. And he is still my family mm. um, more than really my actual family. Yeah.
0: So without going into a half an hour Yes. Uh, Story. Yes. Why don't you hit the highlights and tell what happened next?
1: So after that relationship ended, uh, that is, in fact, when I came back to Los Angeles the second time, and I, like, immediately when I arrived, I met this absolutely beautiful man named Antonio, and we met on Facebook... And, uh, like I said, I had just arrived in Los Angeles that week from New York and he had just arrived in Los Angeles that week from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he somehow we had must have had a mutual friend on Facebook. He wrote to me. I, of course, immediately accepted his friend request because he was absolutely stunningly beautiful. And, and then he asked me out on a date and we had a fantastic date, which lasted for. Eight months.
0: <laughs> well, you you have to tell a little more about that. You're, you need to bring the poem in here somewhere. <laughs>
1: so we were having dinner on this on this lovely date, and you know, and as you do on a date, you talk about you know, you talk about yourself, you know, what you like, what you don't like, blah blah blah. And so he at one point said that he liked poetry. So here's the story. Many 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 years earlier, I had found this um, fantastic poem online somewhere. I still to this day don't remember where I found it. It's not important, but I. Found I found it online and it was, on, it was on some website with a whole bunch of poems on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But weirdly, none of the authors were listed on the, any of the poems. I, so I never knew who wrote this poem. But I loved it so much that I, I kept it. I kept the poem. I printed it out on a piece of paper and I folded it up and I put it in my wallet and it stayed in my wallet for about, I don't know, five or six years. So, cut to me having dinner with this absolutely gorgeous guy named Antonio, and he says to me, you know, that he likes poetry. Like, And I said, oh, that's so funny. I actually keep my favorite poem in my wallet, in my pocket, and I pulled it out and I, uh, you know, opened up the piece of paper and I handed it to him and he looked at it for a second and he says, he looks at me funny and he says, is this a joke? And I say, no, why? You don't like it? He said, yeah, I like it. I wrote it. Wow. Wow. So he had written the the poem that had been sitting in my wallet for uh, whatever five or six years.
0: Now, had he written that when he was in Chicago?
1: I believe so. Yes.
0: Okay. And you were in New York, when correct? You, when you received, when you found the poem, that you were is in correct. New York, yes, right? right. So now you're both in. And LA. Now we're both
1: in L.A. We're both sitting at a, across from each other at a at a at a restaurant. So
0: the stars are aligning.
1: It was uh, it was absolute fate. Right. It was absolutely meant to be. This is this is the I didn't need a whole lot of proof in my life that things were meant to be because I've had a lot of experiences like this, but that was that was it. That was like, oh, okay, this was absolutely meant to be. And we were inseparable from that moment on, like literally inseparable. I don't think I, you know, I spent a, a minute without him hmm. after that
0: night. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> I mean, like literally, I
1: think we moved in together like 2 weeks later. Wow. I mean, we just knew it was, you know, uh, he was great and I was great and I think we were great together and, uh, just everything, every, everything just seemed, seemed perfect. So yes, we moved in two weeks later into an apartment here in Los Angeles and then, uh, exactly four months to the day from when we met, mm-hmm we got married. Uh, And at the time, I believe there were maybe two or three states where you could legally get married, same-sex marriages. And I think it was Hawaii and Massachusetts and Vermont. I think those were the states where we can get married. So what we decided to do was we got in the car one day in Los Angeles, and we drove 3,000 miles across the country to uh, Provincetown, Massachusetts, which was one of my favorite places to go every summer. We found a, uh, a, a preacher, a pastor, whatever, uh, somebody official sounding, and we went to the beach and we got married exactly four months after, to the day after we met. Four months later, we were married. And that then was- we got in the car and we drove back to Los Angeles. And, of course, we stopped in Chicago, and so I met all of his friends and all of that stuff and and we had we had quite a um a wild adventure going across the country he was a um He was Puerto Rican and he was a very uh, militant homosexual i guess is what i the <laughs> word I would use meaning like he refused to uh to uh, not hold my hand like he absolutely had to hold my hand constantly he wasn 't uh uh, we drove across the country and everywhere we went in Missouri and Kansas and Oklahoma and all these places where we stopped, like we would get out and he would hold my hand and he would kiss me. He was big into like uh, PDAs <laughs> and uh, and yeah, he was always ready for a fight. So yeah, so we had a, but we had a magnificent trip both ways across the country. And then we were, and we were a married couple and then we went, came back to the apartment and together in Los Angeles for exactly four months. <laughs> I should continue, yes? Oh, yeah, of <laughs> course. You got to finish the story. The, yeah. the f- story finishes this way. So uh, about four months later, one day he felt sick. He, I mean, he felt like really sick. I was at work and, uh, and he was at home and he, he fainted, felt really bad. When he came to, he called me and he told me what happened. And I, he said, you know, he said he was going to go to the emergency room. So I left work and I met him at the emergency room. I'm sorry. I did not meet him at the emergency room. I ran to the emergency room. Once I was there, I found out that he had been admitted into the ICU.
0: Not good news.
1: Not good news. He had, uh, he apparently had stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and, uh, and had no idea. We had no idea he was healthy. I mean, he was seemingly healthy in the in the sense that, like you know, he ate like a normal person and he slept like a normal person and he went to the gym and you know he was big and buff and worked out and he was gorgeous. So there was no indication uh, that anything was wrong. He was HIV positive, but that but he was on he was on meds for that, so he was non uh, he was not detectable. Right. So, so there was no indication that anything was wrong. But when they got to the hospital and they did a blood test, um, they found out that he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it was stage four. His body was riddled with wow. it. So they immediately uh, got him into a room and got him hooked up to uh, all kinds of uh, IVs. And when I got there, like like literally, he was hooked up to all kinds of things and all kinds of machines, and they had started giving him transfusions
0: so when you you were you went to the work that morning, yes, and you left him at home, and he was yes. normal, correct, and the next time you saw him, he was in that state,
1: correct, wow, it was a Monday, and i could if I went back, I could figure out the date for you, but I do know that it was a Monday, I remember that so um. So, yeah. So we were then trying to figure out what was going to happen next. We, you know, we were consulting with all of these doctors there at the hospital. It didn't look good. And then his, uh, so by Wednesday, two days later, his, uh, his organs started shutting down. I think first was his, uh, I think his liver and his kidneys shut down so at that point uh,
0: then he went into a coma but he said something to you before that he did uh, I know I know this story <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah he did Wednesday uh, that Wednesday the doc one of the doctors came in and because he was he was jaundiced which is how we knew that his liver had stopped and the doctor and they they had been giving him these transfusions mm-hmm. but the thing was the transfusions were not working right his body was not accepting these trans the, the blood the doctor, he actually took me out. He, he said, can I speak to you outside? And I, I will. I would love to point out that the fact that I was even allowed into that room and that the doctor spoke to me uh, was because I had a marriage certificate, which is why it's so important. Right. So the doctor and I were about to leave the room, and Antonio said, wait, 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 stop. I have to tell you something. And so the doctor left and waited for me outside, and I went back, and I said, what? He said, and Antonio said to me, he said, I can't die because I just found you. Hmm. So I said, you're not going to die. And I walked outside to speak to the doctor. And when I came back into the room, he was unresponsive. He was, he had gone into a coma. Mm. So that was on Wednesday. So that was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and things started shutting down. And finally there was a cardiologist who came in and uh, looked at his heart and and told me that he was, uh, they could tell that he was about to, it was imminent. He was about to go into cardiac arrest. Um, and what did I want to do? They literally said to me, you know, there were two doctors and a cardiologist. What do you want to do? I was like, what do you mean? What do I want to do? And they explained to me exactly what would happen. They explained to me that it did not look good. It was definitely going to happen. There was an event about to happen. They could see it. And what they would probably have to do with him is ultimately they would have to, they would work on him for a while and they would have to, uh, break open his ribs, cut open his chest break open his ribs like literally like break the ribs out of his chest and work on his heart with their actual hands like that's apparently how bad it was like the the electric shocks and all right. that stuff were not going to work and they said we we have to do all of this by law we have to do all of this this is the procedure we have to do all this but and the cardiologist said but I'm telling you right now it's not going to work it's not going to work mm. and so I said to them well then Don't do it. Why go through all that? Why put him through all that? Even, I mean, he's in a coma, but like, if it's not going to work, I mean, and you're really seriously telling me that it's not going to work, that he's going to die, then don't do it. And again, because I had a marriage certificate, as soon as I said that, they're gone. Everybody ran out of the room. They took all the monitors out of the room. Like everything was gone. Mm. Uh, And they said, okay, just, you know, stay with him. And this I will always remember too. There was this very nice nurse. uh, And she said, she said to me, she said, talk to him. Because he he can hear you, mm. so they all left, and I crawled into his bed next to him, and I started talking to him. I told him, you know, the kind of stuff that you <laughs> you say at that moment, which right. is, you know, uh, don't don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. You're going to be fine too. Wherever whatever is happening now, wherever you're going, is going to be great. It's going to be an adventure don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. It's Everything is okay. I love you. Um, and then, this was the most interesting part for me. He was on a um, a ventilator. Mm-hmm. That was one of the many machines that he was on. Right. And they had unhooked most of all of the machines when they all you know took off and ran out of the room. But the ventilator was still on. It was the ventilator that was actually breathing for him. So the ventilator was still moving. Like his, his diaphragm was still... Like you could see it, it moved up down, up and down as if he was breathing. But as I laid there in the bed with him and I was talking to him and I looked at him and I was, you know, he was in my arms, I was holding him. um, I knew that he was gone. I knew that he had died. So you knew that moment. I knew the moment that it happened that he was gone, even though the ventilator was still moving. The ventilator was still moving up and down as if he were breathing. But I knew that he was gone. How did I know that? There was something that still to this day, I don't know that I can explain exactly, but I just felt him leave. Mm. It was a very clear feeling of like, he has left. And along with that came the knowledge that, the the absolute knowledge that what I was holding onto, what I was holding in my arms at that particular moment, was nothing. Was not him. Mm. Was not him. Was not the Antonio that I... Right. Loved that I was married to, which I, I found like so interesting and so fascinating. And so I stayed there, you know, I stayed there, uh, I guess, I don't know how long it was, maybe it was a half an hour or something like that, uh, until I finally got up and I walked out of the room and I went to the nurse's desk and I said, he's gone. And that was it, he was gone. And, mm. and he died eight months to the day from when we met. So we met four months to the day exactly, we got married and four months after that right. he died.
0: That's incredible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. It was a, uh, it was a, uh, certainly a, um, a journey, but in fact, it was only the beginning of the journey. <laughs> Cause then, then you go through, you know, the whole grieving process, which takes years or I, you know, I, it takes forever. I'm still grieving in a way. There are still things to this. And that was, uh, that was in 2009. So that was 14 years ago. Uh, I'm still learning things about myself because of that experience. I'm still, I'm still learning things about life because of that experience. I still am changing hmm. because of that experience. So yeah, it's so it never ends.
0: And then the hard part came when you went home, right?
1: Because he died on December twenty eighth. Of 2009. And of course, it was going to be our first Christmas together. So we put up a Christmas tree and we there were presents and all that stuff. And I had actually brought all the presents to the hospital on December 25th, the morning Christmas morning. And I thought, well, okay, he's here in the hospital. I'll just give him his gifts in the hospital. And because it was the ICU, they wouldn't let me. So that day, I left the hospital. When I left the hospital and came back home, I, I brought them all home with me, and I put them back under the tree. And I thought, okay, well, we'll just do it when he gets out of the hospital. That's fine. I don't care. So, of course, yeah. When I got home that night, I think it was finally like four or five in the morning, something like that. Um, there was the there was there was the Christmas tree with all the uh, with all the Christmas gifts that I did not give to him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thinking about that story, it's kind of like—I mean, I believe in the law of attraction. Yes. Yeah. So to me, that's part of the story here. That you know—I mean, who would have thunk that you'd all get together? The two you'd get together. Mm-hmm. I mean, you put you put the poem in your wallet, right? And you carried it for five or six years, right? And to me, that's what brought him to you. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think.
1: Right, for sure. We understood that. At some point, we understood that it was it, that it was fate, that it was absolutely meant to be. And in fact, I told you the story. But uh, the with my previous husband, who's Michael, big Michael, when he and I broke up, like I said, it was it was very amicable. We, you know, we understood that we were we were growing apart. We were growing we were going separate ways in our lives. But it was never really clear, like there was no like incident or event that happened that, you know, there was no fight that happened. There was no history of fighting that, you know, made us break up or anything like that. And we would often say to each other, like, it's so weird, isn't it? It's just weird that we broke up, that we're not together anymore. And I think we both assumed that this was it, that we would be together for the rest of our lives. And so... It wasn't, it, I think it was maybe two or three years after Antonio had died. And all of a sudden this thought hit me and I I was living in Los Angeles and Michael was living in New York. And uh, I called him, I called, I said, Michael, Michael, I know why, I know why we broke up. And he said, why? And I said, because I needed to be in that hospital room on December 28th of 2009. And the only way that could have happened is if I wasn't with you, I needed to not be with you in order to meet him, in order to marry him, in order to be with him in the last moment of his life. It was meant to be. Wow. Um, and he said, yeah, I totally understand that. I said, He said, I think you're absolutely right. So we never know why anything right. happens.
0: And you had also said to me earlier that if you hadn't met him, you don't know how. That would have gone for Antonio.
1: He, like I said, he had just moved to Chicago. I mean, from Chicago to Los Angeles and right. didn't know anybody. You know, and he probably would have met people over the eight months that he was there. But I was the first person that he met when he, you know, got off the plane, basically. So it is possible, I guess, that he might have died all alone. Mm with no friends or no family there. He had been estranged from his family, uh, from his biological family. He hadn't seen his family since he was 19 years old. Wow. And that's a, that's a whole other story about, of trauma and abuse and all of that stuff. So he was really alone in the world. And so, you know, the thing is that I look back on it and if I was there just so that he would not die alone, then I'm okay with that. And and in fact, I have come to think of it as a gift that he allowed me to be there at that moment with him.
0: Hmm. Quite a story. Yeah.
1: And, and again, like I said, it continues. I continue to this day to learn stuff about myself and about how I interact with people because of that. You know, I still now think things like, you know, I see random people on the street sometimes and I will think, what happened to them today? Because I remember thinking after he died, like the next day, I looking out my window in my apartment, I would see people walking around and driving and laughing and doing things in their lives. And I would think, what's wrong with you people? Are you crazy? Don't you realize that the world has just ended? Like, wh- why are you acting like everything's normal? Right. And so, so now I constantly look at people and think, it hits me sometimes the thought, like just random people on the street, like what happened to that woman today? Right. And how can I be compassionate to her? Which is a really powerful mm. thing.
0: Well, I think I'm going to have to have you back and talk about your acting career. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. this is going to get done today. I can do that. But I really thank you for coming in today.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Thank you.